At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 5. It's in your bulletin. We're going to read this section aloud together, Galatians 5, 9 through 15. So if you would find that and stand with me. This then is the text for today. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. May God bless the reading of His Word. A little leaven. That's how Scripture describes the process. A little leaven for the whole lump of dough. That a little bit of leaven will transform everything. The bread, the cake, whatever you're baking, it only takes a small amount to be transformational. That if that leavening agent is present, it will transform the mixture. The leavening agent is one of those things that infiltrates the whole product. It looks so small, and mathematically, it, it is so small. But practically, it's everything. It does so much that without it, whatever you're baking becomes unrecognizable completely different from what would have been. You see, this, is, this analogy is used throughout the Scriptures, both in a positive way and a negative way. And the point here is one of a little change, that, that one little change, one small addition can have enormous consequences for the good and for the bad. You can have one small change that brings great joy, one small addition that makes everything far worse. You know, another way for us to think of this is with the number zero, right? The, the number zero represents nothing. It is nothing. And if you're looking at a digit and you have the number one, if you place a zero to the left of the number one, nothing happens. There is no difference, right? Zero one is still one, zero is nothing. However, if you make one small change and you move that zero to the other side of the one, everything completely changes, doesn't it? You have exponential growth from a one to a 10. If you had two zeros, two nothings, you get significant increase. You go from one to 100. It could be for the better or for the worse. 
right? If your bank says, oh, we added a couple zeros to your account, your eyes might light up, right? I went from 1,000 to 10,000. Thank you for that extra zero, right? But if, if the store does it, we're in trouble, right? If, if the store takes my, my regular $2 loaf of bread and they add a zero and say this loaf of bread is now $20, which could be coming, right? That we, we see the one small addition changes everything. The zero is practically nothing, and yet it's everything. The Bible uses leaven in that same way. So if you come to, to this week's reverse, there, there's a couple of different one small things, one small addition that we deal with, a good one, and a negative one. So first, let's deal with these false teachers. The false teachers in Galatia that Paul has been arguing against, refuting through the whole book, they've come into Galatia and they say the, the gospel is reasonable. So they've been preaching to the churches of Galatia. What Paul taught you was good. The gospel is good, Jesus is good, but Paul left one thing out. Let us make one small addition, and if you'll take this one small addition, all will be well. So the, 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 the one small addition, it only takes 10 minutes of your life. And if you'll take 10 minutes for the one small addition, everything will be good. It was sold to them as a new step, a different step, a step that takes but a moment. And they say, if you will do this one thing, one simple step, the blessings of God will be great. If you take 10 minutes of your day, 10 minutes of your life, your seat in heaven will be reserved forever and you'll have a mark on your body that represents that seed in heaven, a guarantee of sorts. That if the man of the church will take to circumcision, all will be well and the gospel will be full. You see, these false teachers came in and said, just one more small step to what God has taught you and Paul. One more small step to be required of you. And if you'll just keep the peace, and if you'll just listen to these new teachers who've come in and just take a little bit of time to be done with it, all will be well. That's what the false teachers were teaching them. Saying one minor 10-minute addition to the gospel and all will be well. But as the Apostle Paul writes back to them in Galatians 5, one small 10-minute addition to the gospel changes everything. It's a leavening agent that undermines the truth of the gospel to the point that the gospel becomes unrecognizable and the cross of Jesus Christ loses all of its value. I know they're telling you that it's one small 10-minute addition, but the one small 10-minute addition ruins everything. When you add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you destroy its message. What you begin to do when you say it's Jesus plus anything else. So here we're talking about circumcision. Other places we talk about kosher food laws or anything else that we add to salvation and we say Jesus plus this, you undermine the message of Jesus Christ. You steal the glory of the cross and you put it onto the person. And anytime we steal glory from the cross of Jesus Christ and put it onto our own hearts, we are in trouble. It's not one small thing, it is a gigantic change that ruins 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you say take 10 minutes and go get circumcised for the security of your salvation, you aren't just making a minor suggestion. You're altering the gospel so that it is no longer recognizable. Now, for one, you're saying that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross wasn't enough. Now, in any time we say that the work of Jesus Christ at Golgotha is not enough, we're missing the point. We're, we're diluting the message. It becomes ruinous. But that's what they were saying. You've got to do this and this. You, you take the cross of Jesus Christ and then go get circumcised. Then, then go eat kosher foods and you will be saved. When we add to it, the glory of the cross is dimmed and we try to steal that glory for ourselves to say, look what I have done. And it's so problematic that Paul had to get drastic with them. You see, when they say they're only asking for one small thing that only takes about 10 minutes of your life, Paul, Paul responds to this with a gross severity. Our, our translations in the scriptures really kind of dull down the severity of the language. But down in verse 12, Paul uses a play on words to say that anybody that says this to you, that you must get circumcised to be saved, they should castrate themselves. And all this seems a bit severe, but in Paul's defense, this, this one little addition that they're adding to the gospel leads people away. It, it turns them in the opposite direction of the cross. The, the Apostle Paul, when he was teaching them the gospel, was, was leading the church towards the cross of Jesus Christ. When they say, when the false teachers come in and say, no, well, you've got to do this, what they're doing, they're turning the people around. Even if it's just for 10 minutes, they, they're, they're turning the people around away from the cross, leading them away from Jesus to their own efforts to the things that they can do. And they're saying the salvation is found in what you can put up with. Salvation is found in, in, in what you can do and what you will handle. And all of that is leading people away from Jesus. And when a church leads people away from Jesus into the glory of humanity, into the work of their own hands, into their ability to handle pain, all of that is taking glory away from the cross you know, it's interesting, Jesus similarly says, if anybody teaches you something different, anybody teaches you something different than the gospel that I preach to you, it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and drowned in the bottom of the sea than to deal with the wrath of God that's coming. And if you have false teachers that teach you Jesus and anything else, it'd be better for them to drown than to deal with the wrath of God. And so Paul, in a similar way, is being pretty severe here saying this, this is serious what they are teaching you and they're leading you away from Jesus, not towards Jesus. They're saying, oh, it's Jesus and, but when they say Jesus and, they're turning you away and moving you further away from the cross of the Christ. Now, one of the things that we need to do is talk about uh, the different ways that this affects us. Because I, I think when we get caught up in this um, struggle of the ancient churches in Galatia, we lose sight of, of how we fall into the same traps. I think we, we miss how this shows up in our own lives because it all seems so little. And it usually shows up in our lives and in our speech in a couple of ways. So one of the ways that it shows up with us is we say something like this, that I am gonna go do something 
huge for God. That I know I'm, I'm going to do something really big and it's going to affect the nations. I'm going to do something grand for my Savior. I'm going to go all out. So that, that's, that's one of the things that we say that's in this same vein. Another, another is something like this, that I need to get myself right that to, to come near to God or to come into the church, I, I need to get myself right. I've got to get things right with me. And once I get me right, um, then I'll come to Christ. Then, then I'll come be a part of the church or whatever. Let's take the first one first, that I'm, I'm going to do something big for God. Let me remind you, as the apostles do, God, God doesn't need your bigness. His bigness, the, the grand nature of our God is so, is so exponentially greater than whatever you can scrounge up that your effort is unnecessary. That, that you can't do anything greater than God has already done. When we say, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna do something big for my God, we're saying that to the one who created the heavens and the earth. We're saying that to the, ones who, to the one who sent his son to the cross. We're saying that to the one who raised his son from the dead, that I'm gonna go do something big. God doesn't need your bigness. Jesus has already done grand things. We get the privilege of celebrating that good work. And another one, so I'm, I'm gonna get myself right, and I've, I've gotta get me right. See, people often think that they've got to clean up their own life before they come to God. They, they know that there's problems in their heart, there's problems in their mind, they've done things they shouldn't have done, and, and believe that I've got to get me right before I can interact with my Savior. And on, on some level, this is a positive step to know that I have issues in my life, that I have sin that's built up in my life, that, that I know that I have fallen. But the problem comes when we say, well, I'm going to pick myself up or I'm going to make this right. Because the way of Scripture is you can't make it right. In fact, your, your effort is going to fail every time you try to make it right. In fact, the only way you can make it right is to come to Jesus. And, and he's the only one that can fix your life. You're never going to be able to fix what needs to be fixed. The only person who can fix what needs to be fixed is Jesus Christ himself. And anytime we're, we're trusting in our own effort to do something right or do something good, we undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point that we are completely opposite to it. If you trust in your work or your ability to do something good, you will fail and you're running contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now often, when, when we start to recognize this in our own lives, so we start to see this more clearly, we, we come to Jesus and, and we recognize it's, it's Jesus' work on the cross that saves me, that that was the effort and the accomplishment necessary for salvation. And we, when we start to see that clearly and we, we start to celebrate Jesus, inevitably we still end up asking ourselves, so What? If Jesus did everything that needed to be done, then why am I here? If Jesus has done everything that needed to be done for my salvation, then what am I supposed to do? 
And it's, it's interesting, Paul takes up the way of the Christ here and says, well, once we recognize that our effort is not salvific, right, that you are not going to save yourself, there's no effort that you can do to make you, you right in your relationship with God. That all happened at the cross. And once we realize that, J- Jesus says, well, there, there's two things that you need to focus on. There's, there's two things, there's, there's two commandments, right? You need to, to, to love your God and love your neighbor, and that's it. Apostle Paul takes us there at the, at the end of, of our reverse text for this week in Galatians 5, where he takes that second one that Jesus talks about. And, and um, one of the things that we have a habit of doing, most Christians, we, we just laugh Jesus off at these. Okay, love my God, love my neighbor. And, and in our fleshly ignorance, we say, it sounds so small. That sounds so elementary. In fact, that's, that sounds easy. I've, I've already done that. And so then, then we start wondering, well, what else? I mean, God, that's, that's the elementary level. I've, I've already graduated from that level. Give me the real stuff. And Jesus says, no. It's two things. That our faith is very simple. It's not easy, though we think it is. It's very simple. He says, just love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus was serious that this little thing, this one small addition, love your neighbor as yourself, transforms your life to the point that you are unrecognizable. That's why we go there in Galatians 5.14. What Jesus told us to obey, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, a lot of times we hear that phrase, and in, in our pride and in our ignorance, we say, well, yeah, I've already done that. That, and, and we picture it something like this, that my next door neighbor came over last year and asked for some flour, and I gave her a cup of flour, and she went on about her business. It was wonderful. And so I love my neighbor as myself. This is the way we think of it. We think of it as something accomplished, something easy, something simple. That we're, we're so kind that when they ask us, we gave them something. It's how we treat that commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we need to think of it in a different way, and that's not what Jesus meant to share your flower when your next-door neighbor comes over. It, it was something much different. In fact, it's, it's something revolutionary. That when, when you follow Jesus, we trust then that God has ordained all of our steps. God, God has ordained every person who will come across your path today. And so, as a believer of Jesus Christ, we then imagine in the Spirit, how then do I show these people affection? Everybody that Jesus is going to bring across my path today, He's told me to love them. And it's my responsibility by the Spirit of God to be affectionate. And that's going to look like a million different things. And what's interesting about this, where where Jesus says, I'm going to bring people across your path, and you love them. It seems so simple, 
but it is the most transformative thing that we can do. You see, there's one simple prescription from heaven for life. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting, the next verse in Galatians, so Galatians 5.5, 5, we have a warning. It says, you often bite and consume one another. That by your language, by your words, you tear each other down, you attack one another, you gossip about one another, and your words are destructive. The difficulty here is that's our natural response. That seems to be our natural inclination is to fight back and to bite back and devour one another, even in the church. It rears its ugly head when that's our knee-jerk reaction to strife, fight back, to punish them, take a chunk out of them. That's our earthly, fleshly response. And Jesus says, I have another way, the way of the cross that covers the other in mercy particularly the people you're struggling with. A heavenly affection that doesn't come from yourself but comes from the grace of God. You know, so many times we get life backwards. Even in the church, even as believers, we, we, get, we get life backwards. We, we, we realize in our hearts that we've been wrong. We, we realize in our, in our hearts that we really haven't made much of a difference anywhere. Somebody this weekend was sharing me that same thing. Just, I haven't made a difference. And, and we feel like we need to, to get out and do something. And the more guilt we feel, the, the greater we feel the thing is that we need to do. I need to do something big. You know, it's like we were talking about earlier in the welcome, we hear these stories of persecution. We hear these stories of terrorism. And it hurts. It cuts deeply. And we think to ourselves, I, I got to do something. I got, I got to get involved. I've got to do something big. You know, that, that's how we talk about public service. That's how we talk about activism. We're going to fight for that cause. We're going to fight for those people, Wh whatever it might be. That mindset comes from the flesh, not from heaven. It doesn't come from Jesus. Jesus says, every time you go big, you go wrong. Why don't you start small and love your neighbor as yourself and see what happens? It's interesting. Most of the time, people take up causes and we rally with organizations because in those places, the fight is theoretical. You don't really ever engage in a meaningful way. Right? People just gather and talk about things, how they should be, what they would be, how other people need to change. We love to gather and talk about how other people need to change. That's not the way of Jesus. None of that's ever productive. Jesus said, if you want real change, you want, you want to do something that matters, you want to change this world, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to bring all kinds of people into your life. And if you will be affectionate towards them, you are a revolutionary of the kingdom of God, living in a way that no one else does.
Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you, if you really want change, if you want, you want change in your heart, if you want, you want change in your community, Jesus tells us how this happens. And you all need to give up trying. And what we mean by that is you've got to trust Jesus with it. Because you're never going to make the change that you want in, in your own heart or in your community without handing it over to Jesus Christ. It just doesn't work. You have to first trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the beginning of everything. The, the, the good transformation that happens in this world all happens by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everything else fails. And when we begin to realize that, that, that everything revolves around the body and blood of Jesus, the Spirit brings this gratitude into us, this heavenly gratitude, where we say, I'm not good enough, but by the grace of God I'm saved. And, and in that gratitude, it, it starts to flow out of us. When, when, when you start to live in that gratitude, the, the, the Spirit starts to, to flood the people around you with that gratitude. And our homes are transformed. Our communities are transformed. You know, the reason why our, our lives, our homes, and our communities aren't transformed is because we're all still working in our own strength in our own ways, in our own wisdom, instead of letting the Spirit of God move. We get focused on, on what we want to do. When for thousands of years, Scripture and Jesus have been saying, it's a small thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it changes everything. If you will trust in the work of Jesus on the cross and then be kind as the Spirit of God leads you in your interactions, it will be revolutionary in your heart, in your home, and in your community. By the grace of God, may it be so among us. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that as a church, you would forgive us of all the ways that we have run ahead of you, of all the good intentions that we've had. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we, we pray that we, you would forgive us when we said your vision was too small. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us when we said, God, you're not asking enough of me. Lord, we, we pray that you, you would forgive us of our pride. Lord, that you would forgive us of trusting in ourselves. And Lord, change our heart. Lord, we, we hear the scripture ringing. Some trust in chariots and some in horses but I will trust in the name of the Lord my God. And Lord, we, we pray that would be so among us. 
Lord, make the work of Jesus at the cross real to us. Lord, transform our lives. Lord, give us hope. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.